so we are ending the year and ending a series um, in a series called Faceless, where we are looking at calling through the lens of John the Baptist's life. And uh, the name kind of comes from uh, John 3, where John uh, the Baptist says this. He says this about his life. I must decrease and Christ must increase. Like, I must become less and Christ must become more. And it's funny, John didn't say, Lord, increase my ministry so that Christ can also increase. He says, may I become not even seen so that Christ would increase and become more. And the whole idea here is that as Christians, when we embrace the calling that God has given us, we actually become less and less and less in our callings, and Christ's person, Christ's presence, Christ's name, and Christ's fame actually takes the front seat in our lives, not us. And so as Christians, we are, we are ultimately after the glory of Jesus, the honor of Jesus, the witness of Jesus in his kingdom in this city and in this world. And so this series has spoken a ton to me. I hope it's spoken a ton to you, and I hope it's a gift. Um, but as we wrap up this series, there's an experience that I know we all have and it's not if you will have this experience, but it's when you will have this experience. And as I look at even some of the older uh, adults in the room, I guarantee you if you ask them stories about their life, they would come to this experience. But all of us at some point in our lives will come to a moment where we start to experience confusion and doubt in our calling. We talked about listening and obeying Jesus, and then you listen and you obey Jesus, and then all of a sudden you get into your calling, and then all of a sudden confusion starts to happen, doubt starts to happen. If I'm being completely transparent with you, the last six months has kind of been a season like this for me for all sorts of different reasons, but I'm kind of wrestling through some things. Don't worry, I'm not leaving. But in my prayer times, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you trying to say? Like, what's going on? But we all experience doubt and confusion. And we all start asking questions like this. Am I really doing what God wants me to be doing? Am I really doing what God wants me to be doing? If you get to a point where you're confused or you're doubting, you go, Do I, did I have this all wrong? How many of you looked back on the things that you thought God was speaking to you, you responded in obedience, it landed you up in a confusing place, and you're like, did I get this whole thing wrong? We start to ask those questions, or we get into our calling, we're actually like in our career, or we're in the place that God has us, and the honeymoon phase wears, like wears off, and then we just go like, is this it? Like, is this all there is to what Jesus has for my life. And then ultimately, if you get really to a hard place, you go, why did following Jesus lead me here? And then as those questions start to form in our hearts and to form in our minds, and you might be walking with people who are also wrestling with those same questions, ultimately what it leads to is we start to question God's faithfulness in our lives. We start to question his goodness. We start to question his kindness. We start to question whether or not he is with us. And here's the reality about questioning God's faithfulness and putting God's faithfulness to the test. We can't really know how faithful God is until life has given us a reason to doubt his faithfulness. I'm going to say that again. That's really important. We can't really know how faithful God is until life has given us a reason to doubt his faithfulness. Because the faithfulness in and of itself is that God shows up in hard times, but the hard times put God to the test, do they not? And then it starts to breed doubt. And then if you go one layer farther, especially for us in the church, I know out in the world right now, it's like, um, and I'm not demeaning this, I really mean this, it's like cool to question your faith, deconstructing is like a popular thing out there, but especially in the church, in my experience personally, in my experience with walking with many of you, is we start, like, let's just be honest, we're afraid to be honest about our doubts. 
We're afraid to be honest about the place that we're in because we confuse doubt with unbelief. So as soon as we start talking about doubt, we start to go, well, people must think I'm not a Christian anymore. People must think that I'm not trusting God. When you're not really in that place, you're just in a season of doubt. Henry Drummond is a Scottish, a Scottish evangelist, and he wrote an incredible book on love called uh, The Greatest Thing that I read, and it was phenomenal. But he has this quote on the difference between doubt and unbelief, and this is what he says. He says, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. And I love this. Doubt is looking for light when unbelief is content with darkness. Super helpful, huh? So tonight we're going to see someone in the name of John the Baptist looking for light in a dark place. And I pray that the Lord would meet you in your doubt, meet you in your questions, meet you in your confusion. But in order for him to do that, let's ask God to meet us tonight and then we'll jump into the word. Lord Jesus, we invite you to shower us with your presence tonight. Lord, we invite you into our anxieties. Lord, I know even in this room, like there's a lot of people here and I'm getting anxiety. And I know many people in the room have experienced that. I pray for these seniors. God, I pray for this community. I pray for Redemption uh, Gateway in West Mesa. Lord, so many different pockets of your body represented here in the room tonight. And so Lord, we pray and we ask that you would be our guest tonight. Lord, that we would sit at your feet, that we would learn from you like Mary God, you would teach us. God, I pray that you give us hope and doubt. I pray that we would hear loving correction in our doubt if we need that. And Jesus, I just pray that you would give me words to say that are not truly of me, Lord, but that are of you. And I pray that you would pierce the hearts of this community and of individuals in this community that you deeply, deeply, deeply love. So Jesus, we invite you. Holy Spirit, permeate this room. Permeate our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, um, don't open your Bibles. Well, let's track with the screen tonight. The room is dark, so uh, Matthew 11, verses 1 to 3, John the Baptist. Okay, so to catch you up to speed where we've been in this series, uh, John the Baptist, he, uh, he, the word of God is sent to him, the voice of God comes to him, and then we see that he had this pattern of listening and obeying, and so we talked about if you want to fulfill your call as a follower of Jesus, literally, listen and obey. The next thing that God is calling you to do, the way you fulfill God's big call in your life is that you're faithful in all the small calls that will eventually add up to the big call in your life. Then we talked about the posture in which we hold our call. We talked about if you're, uh, if you're contributing and investing into the kingdom to make a name for Jesus, or if you are building a tower to the skies to make a name for yourself and investing into your tower. And we talked about the importance of investing into God's kingdom. And tonight, we're going to talk about doubt. Look at uh, Matthew 11, and we'll read the first three verses. It says this, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Verse 2, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, you're just reading this, and it just sounds like you're reading a story. All right, got, got it. John the Baptist is in prison, you know, and you just skip over it. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of John the Baptist as if this was you. You're faithful to God's call. You have done everything that God asked you to do. You've been obedient, you've been faithful, you've suffered, 
And because you've been faithful to Jesus, you land up in prison. And some of you might feel like that tonight. You've been faithful to Jesus. You've been following him. You've been devoting yourself to him. And it's landed you in a prison-like circumstance. Now, jump in John the Baptist's shoes. He's in prison. And last time I checked, prisons weren't very comfortable. So he's in prison. And typically when you're experiencing some sort of suffering or there's pressure in life, doubts start to rise to the surface, don't they? And so he gets to this place where he's like, okay, I'm in prison, the Messiah, Jesus, is supposed to come, he's supposed to conquer all of God's people's enemies, and like, what is going on here? And doubt starts to, like, rise in his heart, although God has radically spoken and met John the Baptist in his life. Now, what's interesting, step out of this story for a second. If you were John the Baptist, from a worldly perspective, his ministry was a complete failure. His ministry was a complete failure from a, from a worldly perspective, I mean, let, let's track with it. So it starts off, I said this, John the Baptist, he, he obeys God's word. God's word comes to him. John obeys, responds. His ministry is massive. It's like seven tens huge, like it's blowing up. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene and he starts saying like, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then all of a sudden, the crowds start to leave John and go after Jesus. Now just get out of your head for a second and just pretend Jesus isn't God and you're just like, it's just like another guy is taking my people. So the, so, so the crowds are going to Jesus to the point where John the Baptist's disciples come to him and they're like, hey, yo, everybody's leaving you and going after Jesus. So the crowds start to leave John and go after Jesus and then, check this out, John the Baptist's own disciples that he picked to follow him, leave him and start going being disciples of Jesus. So the crowds start to leave him. He starts to diminish. His disciples, some of them start to leave him. He starts to diminish. You fast forward in his life, he speaks truth to power, which is a very interesting story. I don't have time to go into it. And it lands him in prison. So his faithfulness and his obedience to God lands him in prison. And then for the cherry on top of his faithfulness to Jesus, he's executed and decapitated. His life is over. From the world's perspective, what a failure. From Jesus' perspective, no one greater born of woman. That's what Jesus says. One of the things that I want to talk to you tonight about specifically is I think, and because I wrestle with this too, is that there is this underlying belief, I don't know where it comes from entirely, ultimately Satan, and then it's bred into the culture, but there's this mentality and tell me if you don't resonate with this, is the more faithful I am to God, the less suffering I should experience. The more faithful I am to God, the easier the path should be. How many of you, and I, I do this all the time, I'm like, I'm in my prayer time, I'm like, Lord, I've listened to you, I've obeyed you, why is this so hard? And I'm mad at God because my faithfulness to him hasn't produced ease and comfort. But what's interesting in the Bible is that all the people who God calls to the most extravagant things that blow things out of the water to any things that we have done have suffered the greatest because of their allegiance to Jesus and their devotion to God and his kingdom. Is that not true? John the Baptist is not the only one. You go, Joseph lands in prison. David runs from his enemies. And you just go on and on and on. Every single one of Jesus' followers, minus John, was executed for following Jesus. And then here we are in America and we, our obedience to Jesus produces some sort of discomfort, and we're like, what is happening, you know? Does that not happen? 
But it's interesting in Acts, Paul, when he's talking to the believers, he says this, through many trials and hardships, we must enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't say through ease and comfort or through many Bible studies or through great church experiences or if that church is great, go there. If it's not, go there. And all these, like, he says through many trials and hardship, we must enter the kingdom of God because we follow in the path and pattern of Jesus our Lord. And the shape of his life was dying and rising. And so the shape of our, li- our lives is dying and rising. And here's the point I want to make to you specifically in the room tonight. Just because you are in a place of doubt and confusion doesn't necessarily mean you've been unfaithful to your call. I just want to say that to you tonight. And it might actually be because of your faithfulness to Jesus in whatever situation, your family, your school, your work, it it might actually be that because of your faithfulness to Jesus, your life has gotten really complex and hard and confusing. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean God failed you. You're in good company with really godly men and women who have suffered for being obedient to Jesus. And here's the thing that I want to say to you tonight, and I want to put it on the screen. Often, it's the path of Jesus that the Spirit uses to form the person of Jesus in you. Many times we want to follow Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. We're praying, Lord, make me like you. And then God goes, great. You can't disconnect the person of Jesus being formed in you apart from the path Jesus walked. Oftentimes, it's the path of suffering, the path of of doubt, the path of confusion. That is the means that the Spirit forms Jesus in you. Does that make sense? You're all quiet. Thank you, Dan. Amen. Paul Miller talks about this with our culture. This is a longer quote. It's the longest one, but bear with me here. He says this, If dying and rising with Christ is the new normal which I just want to, I want to pause and say, the new normal, not the exception, then when we encounter dying, we don't have to collapse or withdraw into ourselves, like I do so much. We can be weak, and he goes here, even depressed. This frees us from our tendency to be depressed about our depression, because depression avoidance is such a high value in our culture. When people are depressed, they think something is wrong. It's a relief to realize that If we're dealing with hard things, we should be depressed. Jesus models depression for us in his passion, that's the final week of his life, as he is overcome by the wane or by the weight of his coming death. And I love this. Our modern obsession with creating a pain-free self lays a great burden on us. And here's the point I want to say. There is a good hard burden to suffering, you don't need to add to that burden to expect something else to happen. So Jesus often forms us through his path, and that's how he forms the person to us. All right, let's, let's jump back into Don, to John. Okay, so John, he's in prison, he's doubting, uh, he's wrestling with these things, and I think there are four reasons. Like, if you ever ask, like, why was John doubting? He was an incredible man of faith. He was bold. He spoke to the kings of his time. Like, he was okay with anything. How does somebody like that to get, get to such a weak and vulnerable place? Which is very encouraging to me, because, like, John's way better than me, and he still doubted. If I'm a little less than him, a lot less than him, then it's okay if I'm struggling with doubt, too. But he gets to a place, why do you think he was struggling with doubt? I think there are four reasons that John might have been struggling with doubt that I think might hit home with you tonight. The first one is this. Um, I think John, he was hidden from the work Jesus was doing. Think about this. He's literally in prison. He can, he, interesting, look, look what it said in the passage. When John, who was in prison, heard, not saw, 
heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent to his disciples to ask Jesus a question. John could hear what Jesus was doing, but he couldn't quite see him, see it for himself. And I think oftentimes we relate with that a lot because we hear about what Jesus is doing. Like you hear, you, you, like you hear what's happening in your friends, you hear what's happening in that church, but in your prison-like circumstance, you actually can't see it for yourself. You feel like God is blessing everybody else's calls. You see the fruit of people's faithfulness, and then you look at your life, you're like, I can't even see it. I can hear it, but I can't even see it. But here's the reality. Sometimes Jesus doesn't actually show us all that he's doing. Sometimes the prison-like circumstance that we're in actually shields us off from truly being able to see what God is actually doing. And God's not doing this to play with you. He's not trying to mess with you. But typically I found there's two reasons in my life that God doesn't show me the work that he's doing. One, he's either trying to protect you from pride. Because if you really saw all that I was doing in you, you actually might get puffed up in pride and think it was you. Or he's trying to build persevering faith. So if you, if you entered into my life the last six months and I said, I've been wrestling through these things, some of my prayers have been like, Lord, I know you're at work. I've heard of the things that you've done. I hear the things that you are doing. Will you just show me what you are doing? I pray this over this community. I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing in the middle of this community? But sometimes we're just hidden from the work Jesus is doing. And we're like, what's even going on? The second thing that I think John might have, uh, might have breeded doubt in his heart is that he might have felt forgotten by Jesus. Anybody feel forgotten by Jesus? Okay, I'll talk to myself about this. Uh, but th- this, this is very interesting. There is no record of Jesus visiting John in prison. Think about that for a second. There is no, I'm not saying he didn't. I don't know. But I just, let's just pretend he didn't. There is no record of Jesus visiting John in prison. John must have sat there wondering if Jesus forgot about him or at least remembered but had too many other things going on because although he's launching the kingdom of God. And maybe that's how you feel in your life right now. You're like, you just feel like you stepped into God's calling and you just feel like he's forgotten you. And you're in this situation, it's difficult, it's confusing. You're like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Like, have you forgotten about me? And that breeds doubt. Thirdly, uh, I think John was just weary and exhausted. How does a strong man like that go to such a weak place? Weariness and exhaustion. If you looked at my life right now, and I said, all the times and the days and the moments that I experienced the deepest doubt, it was always tied to some sort of weariness or exhaustion. I'm just tired. I'm in an uncomfortable situation. But exhaustion just has this thing about, like, exhaustion can kind of just let faith dwindle, and it lets doubt rise, if you don't protect your heart in that moment. So he's, he's serving God's kingdom, he's weary, he's exhausted, and maybe you feel that way. And lastly, I think this is probably the most important thing, which we'll get to in a second, is he had unmet expectations that he had. He had expectations of what Jesus would do, although, like, he grew up on the scriptures, he read, he was interpreting the best he can, and he's going... I just feel like my expect, expectations for what Jesus, who Jesus said he was, what he's doing, like they just aren't being met. And let's just be honest, we all have, if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, we all have expectations in our lives on Jesus that he has not met for us. Facts. Thank you. Thank you. But it's, isn't that true? Here's what I've realized in my life. When I attach my expectations and my dreams onto God's call, thing gets wonky in my heart. When I attach my expectations onto God's call, things just get really weird in my heart. And we start to doubt, but we're not really doubting God. We're doubting our expectations that God didn't meet. And John was wrestling with that in this moment. 
All right, so let's look at this briefly, and we're going to wrap this up here in a few minutes. How does Jesus respond to John in his doubt? And I want to sit here for a second, because however Jesus responds to John in his doubt will say something to how Jesus responds to you and to me and to us in our doubt. Isn't that not true? All right, let's look at verse 4 through 5. So he sends uh, his disciples to Jesus to ask this question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And then Jesus replied, go back. So it's interesting, Jesus doesn't go himself. He sends somebody else. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Tell them that. Isn't it? Okay, so first of all, have you ever had somebody where you ask them a question and they like kind of answer the question but didn't at all, but totally did? Isn't that the most frustrating experience in the world? It's like, hey, uh, Corey, what do you think about this Bible passage? Go and read this. Tell me what you think and you'll know everything. It's like, it's a maddening experience. But literally, that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't tell John everything. He gives him a clue. And what he's ultimately doing, he's quoting passages of the Old Testament that John would have been raised on. He's quoting Isaiah. Uh, and it's interesting, is in Isaiah, it says that when the kingdom of God arrive, arrives, the, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the blind will receive sight. And so Jesus just quotes this passage and says, go tell John that this thing is happening. So I don't know how that went, but these disciples go back to John, and, and I can imagine John sitting in his prison cell going, like, I know that, and I, know, I hear what you're doing. And Jesus, that's the answer that Jesus gives him. <clears throat> Sorry. How unsatisfying is that? A little bit? Here's the point. In our doubt, Jesus often gives enough information for faith to continue but not enough information for faith to no longer be needed. Let me say again, in our doubt, guys, lean in. Jesus often gives enough information for faith to continue, but not enough information for faith to no longer be needed. Here's the thing. In your life right now, Jesus, I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if it's physical sickness. I don't know if it's family drama and brokenness. I don't know if it's your job list. I don't know if you've tried every option and things are, I have no idea what place you are in, but I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He will give you enough information that you need for your faith to continue, for him to continue to cultivate it, for him to continue to build trust in you, but he is not, he is rarely going to give you all the answers. I, Jesus has never given me all the answers in my whole entire life, and I'm only 27. And I guarantee you, if you talk to people in the room, you go, Jesus never just gave me all the answers. He just says, here's this next step, take this next step. And here's my promise, hold on to my promises. Jesus gives enough information for faith to continue, but not enough information for faith to no longer be needed. So as we wrap up, I think ultimately in our doubt, and I wish it were different, but I also don't, the only thing that we can really do is hold on to God's promises. V. Raymond Edman says this. He says, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. And God has told us things in the light. So I want to give you two promises to hold on to, and then I want to share some concluding thoughts, some stuff from my life, and then we'll wrap up and pray. Um, the first thing I want to say to you is this, is, and this is a promise. This isn't 
like there's no exception. This is a promise from the Lord. First, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Where you are, where God has you, you're laboring for his kingdom. When it is for his kingdom is never in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Now stop. Why does Paul have to say stand firm? Because we have moments where we can't stand firm and we're struggling and things are hard. So get into the story. He says, let nothing move you. Again, why does he have to say let nothing move you? Because we have a propensity to let things move us. And he says, in all those things, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Even if, guys, listen, you may never see the fruit of it in your lifetime. I know it's hard for us as Americans. We don't think generationally. We think as individuals. John the Baptist, he, he suffered, he suffered, he suffered, he suffered, he suffered, and then he got his head cut off, and that was it. How is his labor not in vain? We're preaching a sermon on him 2,000 years later. And I just want to say this. God in your life will move you through things you cannot move yourself through. God in your life, he will move you through things that you cannot move yourself through. And it won't feel like he's moving you through it, but I'm telling you, it is God moving you through it. And I'm telling you, serve God's kingdom, invest in God's kingdom. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Amen. All right. Secondly, God will work out his plans for your life. God will work out his plans for your life. If there is a verse if you are insecure or anxious about your future and you don't know what's going to happen, paste this verse on your mirror, say it out loud every morning, and claim this promise. Psalm 138 says this, The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, there's that word, faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Listen, you have plans for your life that may or may not be in alignment with God's plans for your life. And I just want to say this, sometimes our doubt just simply comes from there's a plan that's not working out and it's not God's. But I'm telling you guys, listen, this is why the great people who write and think on spirituality talk about the greatest thing in the Christian life, the place that you want to get yourself to is surrender. Where you can come into God's presence, yes, ask, claim, name, all those things. But when you come into God's presence, and I'm telling you guys, if you got into my prayer time the last two months, the Lord's Prayer, not my will be done, but your will be done, and where I'm just fighting to get my heart to a place like, Lord, whatever you are doing, your plans, I know that you're going to work them out. I trust you. I'm submitting. I'm surrendering. I have to do it every day, and I have to do it moment by moment, and my guess is you do too. God will work out his plans for your life. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to end here with two stories uh, and then a, a charge to you. So I had the incredible privilege of graduating with my master's yesterday. Yes. Yes. Thank you. All right. I'm not gloating, but that's my one chance. No, it's been four years of a lot of work. And my, honestly, my wife has been amazing. She sacrificed so much to allow me to be able to do that. Anyways, my last class in my master's program was last Thursday. And uh, I got to talk to the founder of Neighborhood Ministries, who does incredible work in inner city Phoenix. Essentially, she came in and said, where does nobody want to be? And we'll be there. And uh, where would Jesus be in the city? And we know that Jesus is around the least, last, lost, and in her language, the left out. So she went right in the center of Phoenix. And she was telling her conversion story that I think speaks to many things and might encourage you in many things that you're going through right now. So she talked about her conver conversion story, which was in a phone booth. 
I've never ever heard of that happening, but her conversion happened in a phone booth, and it was birthed out of this season where she was wrestling with extreme doubt. And she had this Christian friend, and she was saying, she's like, I was just like, like if God's this, God's this, this can't happen in the world. And she said this thing so interesting to me. She said, I was really just throwing out doubts and lobs against God and putting it out in the world, but I was really asking that because I had doubts about me. There was brokenness in me, and there was doubts that I had with God about my life, and she said, I was just wrestling with those things. And then she had this encounter in a phone booth, which is incredible, and she said, she felt like God said, I will meet you. And she said, and she, said she felt like God said, I will meet you, and I love hard questions. How many of you feel like God loves your hard questions? Good, that's great. Most, I don't feel like that. I'm like, I'm like trying to be respectful. She goes, I felt like God told me, I will meet you in your hard questions. And then this, she said this, and this is the line. She goes, not with an answer, but with an encounter. And I was like, whoa. She goes, God told me, I will meet you in your hard questions, not with an answer, but with an encounter. And he said, in the hard questions, that's where you'll find me. And it had me, it came me to this point where I was like, I wonder if in my doubt, I'm spending all my time seeking God for an answer when I should be seeking him for an encounter that will build my trust for this next season. Maybe in your life, you spent so much time accusing God, asking God, and you keep doing those things. Laments are in the Bible for you. It's a gift. But maybe... Maybe there's an invitation tonight that in your doubt, in your confusion, in your dark place, pray for an encounter, not an answer. And that just radically, it radically just messed me up the whole week. And I was just like, that was, that's amazing. I was like, Lord, we encounter your presence in these things. I know you're not going to give an answer on all these things. But Lord, I want an encounter. I want an encounter with you more than an answer from you. I want an encounter with you more than an answer with you. And so I feel like how this plays out in my life, and I'll share this to you. This is a very kind of, amazing, silly story about how God meets me, and I'll share it with you, and then we'll wrap up. Last retreat, uh, whatever month that was, November, um, and this isn't grand. I wasn't like having like a crisis of faith, but uh, I was experiencing doubt in my call. It was the, the night one of the retreat, and I was in the back, and I had this moment where I was like, Lord, why the heck am I here? What am I, like, what am I doing right now? Like, you know, Paul was preaching, and he's doing an amazing job, and I was feeling so insecure about my place, so insecure about the place that God is. Like, I went out on a whim to get to this place that I went only because I felt like God was asking me. I was like, God, I got, like, no other option. Like, I can't chop wood in half, like, very Swihart. Like, I just, like, I don't know what I'm going to do if this thing doesn't work out. And so I was really wrestling. I was wrestling. And then I got up the next morning, and I remember waking up that morning. I was like, Lord, you have to meet me. I was like, as much as you want, I'm praying for you to meet these people, these young adults, this family. You have to meet me in this thing. And so I go to the coffee shop. Can Kayla raise her hand? I'm going to celebrate you. And so uh, I was sitting out with Kinkayla, and, and we were just talking. And then all of a sudden, he turns to me. You know when somebody like, turns to you, and they start talking, and you're like, you're not, what, where is this coming from? So we had one of those conversations. He's like, Corey, you remind me of Gideon. And I was like, OK, Gideon. We weren't talking about it. I wasn't sharing anything. He's like, you just remind me of Gideon. He's like, he's like you're a mighty man of valor, valor, and God is with you. Little did he know the service that we were about to go into was a message on Gideon. Wow. Wow. And so I was sitting there and I was like, I literally was like, I probably didn't say anything to you after that because I was like so dazed. And I felt like God was saying, what am I about to say next? Pay attention. 
And so I'm in the service, and I'm like second row, you know, because <laughs> that's what you do when you're hungry for God. Sorry for people in the back. And uh, I'm joking. And uh, so I was sitting in service, and then all of a sudden in, in, in the sermon, I'm like sitting like right here where Addison is, and Paul's preaching, and he gets to that point where God is with you, what he said. And I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up. Paul's like, he's like, God is with you. And he's like locking eyes with me, and he's like pointing at me to the person, like literally to the point where the person next to me was like looking at me like, <laughs> what is going on? Paul had no idea he was doing it. Literally in that moment, I just felt like God was speaking to Paul and said, like, I am with you. I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm going to give you an encounter in my presence. Here's my point. Maybe you need to start looking for God's encouragement. One, you maybe need to start asking. Maybe you haven't asked for encouragement. And then look for it in unexpected places and unexpected times. I was, I, was, I was just chatting small talk with Kinkayla, and he was used by the Spirit to speak to me about my insecurities, which fueled me for my next season, and it was life-giving to me. Isn't that amazing? And I really, means, I really feel like God wants to do that with many of you in the room tonight. So as we wrap up, Here's the point I want to say about doubt, and then we'll be done. Doubt is directional. Say, doubt is directional. Doubt is is either directing you towards God, or it's directing you away from God. Doubt isn't a big deal. The direction it's sending you is. See, some of you feel like doubt has entered your world, and you're like, how do I get rid of it? I'm like, no, 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 don't get rid of it. Direct it towards God. Don't let it direct you away from him. Some of you, your doubt is cultivating something in you where you're angry at him and you're running. But I'm telling you, if your doubt takes you to your knees and into the presence of Jesus, where you're like, Jesus, I don't want an answer, but I want an encounter, watch out, your faith is about to explode. And I'm not saying that'll happen tonight. I'm not saying it'll happen in a year. But if you are faithful to keep seeking God, God promises you will find me when you seek me and when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen? So on that note, here's the final words that Jesus says to John and he says to us. He says this, verse 6. So it's interesting. He doesn't say, hey, tell John it's all going to be okay. This is how Jesus ends, and I think we need to heed Jesus' words. He says, blessed, he goes, and by the way, tell John this. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And I just want to say to you, 710 tonight, I don't know where you are. I don't know the place God has you. I don't know the questions. I don't know the pain. And I can't try to understand. I can try, but I won't. But I'm telling you, claim the promises that God has given you. Trust what God has told you in the light when you are in the dark. And then hear Jesus' words and say, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. And so can I say to you, some of you are going through really hard things. Jesus is with you in that. Do not let your doubt direct you away from Jesus. Let it bring you to your knees, to the end of yourself, to cry for mercy. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then we claim the promises and we endure and we're faithful and we listen and obey. And then we become less and Christ becomes more. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we deeply love you. God, I pray over this community, Lord, I, am not, I know there are so many people walking through so many difficult things, God, to a point where it's even overwhelming for me. And God, I just pray a blessing over this community. God, I pray that your presence would just shower upon us. 
Lord, you have spoken from your word, and so now we respond to you in worship. And so, Jesus, we don't pray for answers tonight. Lord, we pray for an encounter with you. So, Jesus, would you give us an encounter of your presence? Lord, we look to you. We claim your promises. Jesus, you, you told us that through suffering and hardship, we will enter your kingdom. And Lord, you don't call us to something that you didn't already walk. And so, Lord, help us to know that the path we are walking, we are not pioneering that path, but you have already walked it. And that we are with you, that we are sustained by you. Fill us with your presence, Lord. Give us an encounter. And Lord, I pray that you would speak real words and give real hope to real doubt in the room tonight. Lord, we need you. I need you. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.